Hey, Storybound listeners. This week, we have Lori Frankel on the show, reading from her new novel, One, Two, Three, which will be available on June 8th. Lori Frankel is a New York Times bestselling award-winning author of three going on four novels. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Guardian, Publishers Weekly, People Magazine, Lit Hub, The City, Morning Herald, and other publications. She's the recipient of the Washington State Book Award and the Endeavor Award. Her novels have been translated into more than 25 languages and have been optioned for film and TV. She was recently named one of the 50 most influential women in Seattle, where she lives with her family and makes good soup. She will be joined by musician Anna Tivill for an original Storybound remix. Hi, I'm Laurie Frankel. You are listening to Storybound. This is an excerpt from my new book, One, Two, Three. Welcome to Storybound, presented by Lit Hub Radio and the Podglomerate. I'm your host, Jude Brewer. In just a little bit, you're going to get to hear Lori Frankel read from her new novel, One, Two, Three. She'll be joined by musician Anna Tivill for an original Storybound remix. And now let's start the show. My first memory is of the three of us, still inside, impatient to be born. We were waiting like at the top of those water slides you see at amusement parks on TV, slippery wet and sliding all over one another to see who got to go first, shivering, hysterical, mostly with laughing, but a little with fear. The winner, me, streamed away from the other two. Excited to slide and smug because I got to be first, but also a little scared to leave them, and a little left out because of the time they'd get to spend alone together until it was their turn too. Not that I've ever been on a water slide. School doesn't start until tomorrow and already I'm behind. Mrs. Shriver emailed us the prompt a month ago. History and memory are unreliable narrators, especially in Bourne. Therefore, please write a two- to three-page essay on your earliest memory and its relation to what's true. You think I couldn't possibly remember being born, that its relation to what's true is something like third cousin twice removed. But maybe the reason most people don't remember is because they were alone in there. We weren't alone. We never were. Before we were our mothers or ourselves, we were one another's. Mama was waiting outside, of course, so she can't say for sure either. Most mothers of triplets don't even try to give birth naturally. Most aren't even allowed to try. But our mother is not like most mothers. She remembers hours of screaming and pushing and pain. And she was alone then. After him. But before us. 
While she waited, she made a plan to give us all M names with escalating syllables so she would be able to keep us straight. She named me Mab, Queen of the Fairies, Deliverer of Dreams. Baby number one. Two came kicking and screaming a quarter hour later and needed two syllables. Mama must have been tired because she'd lost track of what day it was. What day it was. Evening had turned to night. What day it was. Had turned to morning by then. And when they told her it was early Monday already, she named the baby that. And then three came too slowly, no matter how our mother pushed. Typical, though none of us knew that at the time. Eventually, they had to go in and get her. But she got the good name. But she got the good name. The normal one. The good name. Mirabelle. 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 It sounds like miracle. It turned out we didn't need such an elaborate system, though. No one has to count syllables to tell us apart. When we were very little, Mirabelle called us with her fingers. One for me, two for Monday, three taps on her armrest or right above her heart, three taps when she was talking about herself. Monday and I used these nicknames too after a while, since she and Maribel can't go by something shorter without invalidating the entire point. So that's our triplet shorthand. One for me, two for one, three for the other. Mrs. Shriver won't believe the other part though that I remember being in utero. She'll say, I asked for an essay map, not a short story. But if memory's so unreliable, who is she to say? Who is she to say? If memory's so unreliable, what's the point of even asking the question? Except I know the answer to that one. It's important for us to exercise our memories in born, to stretch and strengthen them, like brain yoga or mind aerobics. Because one of the sad things that happens when almost everyone dies is there aren't enough people left who remember why. Two. Even though it is summer still, it is raining, so it is a green day. So I take all the shades of green pencils in alphabetical order, avocado, forest, kelly, mint, moss, olive, plus white paper, the cereal box I ate all the cereal out of, scissors, glue, and a ruler into the upstairs hall closet where I can be alone for the next 27 to 29 minutes until mom gets home from work and says we have to hurry up and make dinner and eat it quickly and clean up fast so we can get ready for bed immediately and fall asleep at once as if school starts 14 minutes from now instead of 14 hours from now. I cut a perfect four inch by six inch rectangle out of the cereal box, which I can do without measuring, but I measure anyway. And then I cut a perfect four inch by six inch piece of paper and glued on top. If I ever went anywhere, I would buy postcards. In movies, you see people on vacation look at a tower of postcards and choose just one, but I would buy them all. Since it is more accurate to say I will never go anywhere though, I make my own. On this one, I draw trees because that is one of the best things to draw on days when it is raining and therefore green. You could also choose frogs or grass, 
But frogs' tongues are pink like most tongues, and grass is boring, both, like the saying, to watch grow and also to draw. But enough shades of green will make a whole forest of trees if you choose the right season, summer, or the right part of the country, the part with evergreens. And olive and forest layered on top of each other will make a green brown that works fine for trunks, branches, and green days. So that is what I draw on the front of her postcard. Oaks, firs, maples, pine trees, pear trees, and one eucalyptus. I am not stupid. This will be an important point to remember. I know there are no real forests where those trees grow together, but it is not a real postcard, so it does not matter if it is true. On the back I write, Dear one, wish you were here. Which is true. With two to four minutes to spare until Mama gets home, I leave the closet and slide the postcard picture side up under Mab's bedroom door. It is more accurate to say it is also my bedroom door, and also Mirabelle's bedroom door, and it is even more accurate to say it is no one's bedroom, but rather the dining room, which it used to be, except now we sleep there. But I am certain that even though it is face up, Mab will know who it is for. And I am right, because when we go to bed 3.75 hours later, I see it tacked up among the 246 other handmade postcards I have sent her already. The music you're hearing in this episode was sampled from Anna Tivill's song, The Question. And now for a quick commercial break. You are listening to Storybound with Laurie Frankel and Anna Tivill. And now we return from our break. Three. When you're a triplet, every night's a sleepover. Maybe it's not like this if you're rich. Maybe it's only true if you're a poor triplet. There's only one bedroom in our house, and it's Nora's. Not because she wouldn't gladly surrender it to her daughters, but it's upstairs, and I cannot go upstairs. Every day after school for a whole week of fifth grade, Mab went into our room and cut roll after roll of gold foil into stars. Soon they covered the beds and the floor, and accumulated like snowflakes into piles which grew into dunes. Nora stood in the doorway and frowned at her eldest daughter. Was she depressed? Was she mad? Was this unrealized artistic talent or latent obsession, but didn't say anything? Monday never stopped saying anything. Everything. Whatever's niggling the inside of her head. Why are star shapes pointy but sky stars round and movie stars skinny when pointy, round, and skinny are opposites? What does foil mean a sharp metal sword but also a flat metal sheet when sharp and flat are also opposites? How can a round be the opposite of both pointy and skinny when pointy and skinny do not mean the same thing? At the end of the week, Mab swapped her scissors for a stable gun and made our ceiling into a sky full of stars. They faded over the years, as if it's perpetually dawning now but we sleep beneath them still. I didn't say anything that week because it was not a good week for me, and this was before my voice came. Out there in the rest of the world, the brazen, ignorant, nosy, rude, and clueless come right up to people who use wheelchairs and say things like, What's wrong with you? In Born, no one says things like that. Not because we're not sometimes brazen, ignorant, nosy, rude, and clueless, but because, at least on this front, we know it's not that simple. 
Nothing would be a true answer. So would many things. But it would never be a single fill-in-the-blank response. My muscles are spastic, except for the ones that are hypotonic. My body is often too rigid, though my neck will only sometimes support my head. I have no control over my limbs, except for my right arm and hand, which are as finely honed as something NASA built. Plus idioglossia. Idioglossia. It comes from the Greek. Idio, meaning personal. Yours alone in all the world. Glossa, meaning tongue. If you're a doctor, idioglossia means speech so unformed or distorted it's unintelligible. I can't articulate much more than a single wide syllable. And even that you probably couldn't understand. But if you're a linguist, idioglossia means a private language, one developed and understood exclusively by a tiny number of very close speakers. The secret language of twins. It is raised, in our case, to the power of three. My sisters can usually understand my speech. They get my grunts and expressions and hand signals nearly as well as I get theirs. They share my finger taps. And when I want to say something more complex, with my one very gifted limb and an app on my tablet, my voice can tell them anything at all. It's not fast. I can't type like you can, not with all ten fingers, not seventy words a minute, not in that quick, deft way that sounds like pouring rain. More like a leaking tap. Drip. 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 But if you stop her a leaky sink and give it a day or two, even at that rate, it will eventually spill over. We are in no rut. We have plenty of time. In my dream, you were beautiful, backlit, noble. In the low light of the window, you were leaning on the edge. The and billboards for perfume and call girls the steam above the dark road the smoke around your head so every night as we fade beneath her fading stars my sisters and i discuss all the immensities and all the minutiae the everything and nothing of our lives but mostly the nothing all the intrigue that happened here all the intrigue that happened to us happened before we were born. Before we were born. We don't need something to have happened to talk about it, though. Teenage girls don't get enough credit for this. Their ability to see the potential import of everything, no matter how insignificant it seems, and analyze it endlessly. It's written off, we're written off, as silly, but it's the opposite. We understand instinctively that, like me, change is slow. If you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. For instance, the night before school starts, Mab is talking about her friends, Pooh and Petra, which leads Monday to note that P is one of the few letters of the alphabet that is also the name of a food, along with T, and she considers maybe you, if you were a cannibal talking to your lunch. Mab talks about how Pooh is cleaning out her closet and gave her a pair of really cute black leather mules with silver tassels, and Monday informs us that before there were school buses, kids got picked up in carts drawn by really cute mules. Mab muses with wonder that we're halfway done with high school now, and Monday corrects her. We've been halfway done with high school all summer long. And I tell them about what I saw on Maple Avenue this morning. The most astonishing thing. A backhoe. 
Maybe it just looked weird, towering over the cars on the road, wings clutched up against its body like a bride keeping her dress off the ground. It would have been conspicuous in any town. But I can't remember the last time I saw a piece of construction equipment in Bourne. Nothing ever gets built here. So maybe it's no big deal. Just more idle girl chat. Or maybe, like the second half of high school, something momentous is about to begin. The music you're hearing in this episode was sampled from Anna Tivill's song, The Question. And now for our final commercial break. You are listening to Storybound with Laurie Frankel and Anna Tivill. And now for our final chapter. One. Welcome back. The next morning, there's a sign looped over the railing of one of the ramps between the parking lot and the front door. Otherwise, though, everything looks exactly the same as it did in June. Maribel's wheelchair pauses momentarily when she takes her hand off her joystick to wave goodbye to me. Then she presses it forward again and glides past. But Monday stops dead in the middle of the sidewalk. Rude, she says. Oh, good. Petra comes up behind us. Irony. They don't really mean it, I tell Monday. It would be better if she didn't start the school year overwrought about something completely pointless. They're just being nice. It is not accurate to welcome everyone back. Monday continues as if she hasn't heard me, because probably she hasn't. If no one ever left. Or ever does, Petra adds, unnecessarily. Just go in the side door, I say. Sometimes it's easier for Monday to take the long way around than to work her way through. I will. She narrows her eyes at me, but as my angry facial expression should tell you, I do not think I should have to. Petra and I take another moment to stand there looking at that stupid sign before everything begins again. Not really begins, Monday would insist. Before everything continues. Before everything keeps going. And Bourne Memorial High School limps, rolls, and motors in around us as if we're not even there. In the hallway, it's loud. Usually the first day of school is subdued. It's not like there's much to catch up on. No one went to Europe for the summer or to seven weeks of sleepaway camp. No one interned with a senator or a software company. But this morning there's a buzz. First period this year is world history. Mrs. Shriver's our history teacher, this year and every year, but she does not believe in doing history in order. In ninth grade, American history, we did the civil rights movement, then colonial Boston, then the Civil War, then Ponce de Leon, then the Pilgrims. The day we left Plymouth Rock for the Great Depression, I finally raised my hand to ask why. She cocked her head like it was a smart but difficult question that had never occurred to her. Well, you don't do English class in order, she said. You jump all around. Jazz age poetry, then Shakespeare, then some god-awful Victorian novel, then a short story that ran in the New Yorker last year. Or math, Rocker Mundy put in. Rox is always the first hand up, whether he knows the answer or not. Math, Mrs. Shriver said. We don't do math in the order it was discovered in. Right, Mrs. Shriver clapped her hands together. Exactly. But that's different. 
Chloe Daniels said quietly to her notes in her notebook, the direction she says most of what she says in class. Why? said Mrs. Shriver. Cause and effect? Chloe guessed. That's exactly what it is, Mrs. Shriver nodded. I don't believe in cause and effect. At least not in cause and effect you make up afterward. What happens next is not necessarily caused by what came before. Isn't that what history is, though? Petra pressed. Precipitative? Petra and I have been studying vocabulary for the SATs since sixth grade. But Mrs. Shriver was unimpressed. Not if you teach it out of order. At the time, we thought she was making some kind of weird point for the hell of it, the way teachers do sometimes just because they can, like to show off, not because they really believe it. Now, though, I think about the ways cause and effect might break you. Born is a town of unexpected consequences, a place where what no one sees coming runs you over like a truck. This morning we start with the Treaty of Versailles, the end of a war we haven't studied yet. There's no lead-in, there's no welcome back speech, there's no preview of the year ahead. Mrs. Shriver collects the earliest memory essays, but we don't discuss them. We have too much to do to waste time talking about it. It's true there's a lot of history in history, but that's not why Mrs. Shriver's in such a rush. It's because there's only two years left to get us ready for the world, and we're the so-called smart kids, the hope for the future and all that crap, the normal ones. There's a ban at Bourne Memorial High School on the word normal. And I get their point, but it's not like kids don't know how adults see them, here and everywhere. Most schools call some classes honors, or gifted, or advanced, or whatever, and no one objects to that. But here they just call us track A. The dozen of us are like grocery store eggs, full of potential in theory, but really unlikely to grow into the fully-fledged beings Mrs. Shriver hopes for. She plows on anyway. Yesterday, when I should have been working on my essay but was not, my friend Pooh had me over for lunch to give me back-to-school shoes and back-to-school advice. Both were of a variety you never find in Bourne. Actually cool, genuinely retro, and virtually impossible. The shoes are beautiful, but I have absolutely nowhere to wear them. You don't need anywhere to wear them, Pooh said. Just knowing they're in your closet will make you feel better. Better about what? Whatever you feel bad about. Or if you have a date. She clapped her hands, delighted. That's what these will be, your dating shoes. I don't need dating shoes. No one needs dating shoes. Maybe, but I don't need them more than most. I took the shoes anyway, though, just in case. The advice was to skip history altogether and take something practical instead. We don't have a choice, I told her. It's different than when you were there. Bullshit, she said. Nothing ever changes around here, especially not that school. There are all these required classes now. History's so... What? Passé. You graduated in 1947. That's how I know. Pooh Lewis used to be my service project in middle school. We had to pick a volunteer opportunity and then write a paper about what we learned. I learned old people lie just as much as everybody else, but for better reason. Pooh had only pretended to be blind so someone would sign up to come read to her. And when someone, me, did, she had no desire to be read to. She wasn't really blind, so she could read to herself. She just wanted the company. Don't you want to hang out with people your own age? I asked when I showed up the first day, including into the fact that she didn't need me when I found her in the kitchen reading Baseball America. God, no, she said. Why not? Old people are boring. 
and they smell weird. And around here, most of them are gone anyway. You think I'm interesting? That seemed to be the implication, but no one had ever thought so before. I don't know yet. She looked me over carefully, like when you're trying to buy apples and half of them are bruised. I'll keep you posted. It's been four years, so I guess she decided I was interesting enough. Every few months, Monday demands to know why I keep going to read to Pooh since the program is over and I already graduated from middle school, and I reply that I was never reading to Pooh. This is the kind of logic required to unstick Monday from whatever she's stuck on. I also do not like that Pooh sounds like Pooh, she sometimes says. It's short for Winifred, I explained the first time. I do not like when things are short for things, says Monday, as if I didn't know. And neither Pooh nor Pooh is short for Winifred. Her name is Winifred, so people called her Winnie, and then they called her Winnie the Pooh, and then they just called her Pooh. Pooh can be short for Winnie the Pooh, and Winnie can be short for Winifred, but you cannot combine them, and you cannot read to a blind person for your middle school service project if she is not blind and you are not in middle school. It's true, I always eventually agree, both because it is, and because it's faster. Pooh was four when she came to the United States from Korea with her parents. They changed their last name from Lee to Lewis to sound more American. Then they tried to pick the most patriotic name they could think of for their little girl and came up with Winifred. How is Winifred a patriotic name, I asked, the first time she told me this story. How should I know, said Pooh. You think you're the only one whose mother is crazy? Yesterday, she argued, you should skip history and enjoy yourself. 16 was one of the best years of my life. 1916, I asked? She swatted at me. Do I look like I'm 102? She does, kind of. The year I was 16. At your very high school. Trust me. I've already been all the ages. 16 is one of the good ones. I made a face. Small towns were more fun back then. What makes you think so? It was all hoedowns and hayrides. Neither one. Pooh shook her head. Not even once. And the neighbors all pitched in to build a barn or whatever. It was a witness. The world was small back then. I couldn't quite find the words to mean what I meant, but I'm pretty sure she got it anyway. She almost always does. So it didn't matter if your town was, too. We did know the earth was round, even when I was a child. Now the world is big. I spread my arms to show her. Huge. You can't spend your life in a tiny nowhere town like Bourne. The world is smaller than it ever was. Said, and no matter what town they're in, 16 year olds want to leave it. Nowhere in the world is big enough to satisfy a teenager. But it's different here from other places. What other places? All the other places! I waved at them. Out there, where high school is the best time of your life. It's exciting. It's dangerous. If you're looking for dangerous, Pooh began. And I saw her point, but it wasn't the one I was making. Other schools are full of drama. Weekends are fun. Everyone's beautiful and startling and in love. Where? Pooh demanded. Out there! Everywhere! She peered at me like I was fruit again. What makes you think so? I don't know. I tried, but eventually admitted. TV? Movies? Her eyebrows smugly rested their case, but she didn't say a word. In my dream you were stone still. Shadowed, half-built, a masterpiece of pure will, just waiting on the world.
Thank you to Lori Frankel for reading. You can pre-order her novel, One, Two, Three, from your beloved local bookseller, and it'll arrive on June 8th. The music in this episode was sampled from Anna Tivill's song, The Question. Go look her up on Spotify. That's Anna Tivill, T-I-V-E-L. Thank you to Stephen Foxbury at Yellow Couch Studios, Connor Mincer at Henry Holt. Thank you to Epidemic Sound, and a big thank you to Jordan Aaron for production help as well as our beloved Tim Carplus for mixing this episode. Storybound is arranged, produced, and hosted by me, Jude Brewer. Our executive producers are Jeff Umbro of The Podglomerate and Justin Alvarez of Lit Hub. Let us know what you thought of Season 3. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter or on Instagram at StoryboundPod. We'll be taking a brief break, but we will be back with more episodes very soon. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you're notified when new episodes are published. And as always, thank you for listening. It's been a real ride, and we cannot wait to share with you what's coming next. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.